Hello and welcome back to the Social Matters podcast. We are free. No, what? do that again. There was some like Doing interference. Something. Yeah, so do that again. Hello. <laughs> yeah, all right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is, is there still interference? No, no, there isn't. All right, you know, I'm tempted to leave all of that in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. All right. Um... <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, now, let's focus. <laughs> okay. um, Hello and welcome back to the Social Matters podcast. We are free social workers talking about social matters. I'm Eugene. I'm Fran. Hi, I'm Nadia. Um... We don't know how much of the unedited bit we're going to leave in. So I should just say now that we messed up the intro. So spectacularly. There were swear words flying around. Everyone was so frustrated. We were just talking earlier today about how we're so connected and they're free. And we just feel our way into intros and stuff like that. And actually, I say all of this and I say we, the role we, but it wasn't me. It was Nadia and Fran who talked over each other. So, you know. (laughs) Whoopsie. (laughs) <laughs> we didn't use the hand gestures. We just we just both leaned in and then and then Nadia with the potty mouth. <laughs> why? Yeah, why yeah. is it yes. always me? I can't, I like oh, I'm so it's almost sorry, the, guys. The, the funny thing is is that you really don't have one. It's almost like you just save exactly. it up for the podcast. What is yeah. that about? I don't hear you. Safe swear space, out, babe. Safe space. Yeah, I don't hear you swear outside of the podcast. I don't. Maybe maybe my hypothesis is that Nadia feels that just a small number of people hearing her swear words is not enough. So she's like, you know what? I need a platform. I need over 1,000 listeners. I need a mic. I need a stage. And then I'm going to give all of my swear words. That's what I think. <laughs> I think you should keep the swearing in and then get beep it for like maximum effect with some sort of clacks. And what sound would you like over your swear word, Nads? <laughs> you know, like the, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the bashment. I, I do know the Bashman, but that, I don't know if that was quite. Oh, is that not it? You know no, the Bashman. No, <laughs> no, that that is it. But we just didn't know that was the child you're gonna gonna um, gonna speak. <laughs> oh, <laughs> please, brilliant. But oh, how dear, how are but... you both apart from um, messing up check-ins and potty mouths and yeah. having the giggles? It seems. I think baby girl's on her way upstairs. Oh, Should we see if we get her to say hello? One yeah. second. Let me go and get her. Oh, this is exciting. Hello. Ah! Who's that? Hello. I want to sit. How are you going to sit? I want to sit. Oh, my God. This is the first time she's been on the podcast. Right. Get on the mic. Right. So. Hey, baby girl, you're going to say hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Say hello, Auntie Fran. Hello, Wendy friend. Say hello, Uncle Huge. Hello. Oh dear, no. Go no, on. no, 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 she can do it. She can do it. Uncle Eugene. Hello, Uncle Eugene. Yeah. Hello, little hello. one. Hello, hello baby you? girl. How are you? I'm good. Um, what did you do today? Uh, uh, uh. We was on the potty. We was on the potty. Yeah. <gasps> wow. Oh. Clever oh. girl. 
okay. I still struggle to wee wee on the potty. Uh, it's taken me a long while. So you're so so good and clever. Are you? Are Are you clever? What do you want to say? Oh no, she's totally she's distracted by my drawing. pen and pad. So yeah, now she's just drawing. But yeah. Oh, Dora. Oh. Baby girl. All right, cool. Well, while she's here drawing, um, how are you both? I'm good. We're recording this episode a couple of days after we just got an announcement in the UK that we've got a roadmap to getting out of lockdown. Although there's within me some doubt about whether it will completely be fulfilled I'm glad that there is some sort of plan and it gives everyone a bit of hope and a time frame to things changing and also the last couple of days the sun has been out so it's made me feel optimistic hopeful and energized so yeah I'm feeling good what about you Fran? Similar the 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 roadmap the roadmap has yeah, it's given some kind of hope from a selfish perspective. It's on the 17th of May, which is a few days before I have a big birthday. You're allowed 30 people outside. So whoop, 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 whoop. not that I have 30 friends. Of course you know. do. Oh, but you know, but um, so no, that's that's quite nice. And also, yeah, the sun, it massively, it's just so nice. So the weekend went on bike ride. I went for a nice run the other day by the river. So yeah, feeling fly. But yeah, just spring definitely feels in the air, doesn't it? And in other news, you can see that I've done my um, spare room slash snug slash study, whatever you want to call it. So I did some painting at the weekend, which is very exciting because for the last however many months I've had, you know, the fake background on any meetings that occasionally if you move, you're like, oh, need to slightly adjust that black (laughs) bag of items there. If you kind of come in and out of focus, whereas now I've I don't need to put a back. I mean, I could probably put a background on for privacy, but yeah, it's just a kind of white room now, which is which is good and exciting. So yeah, getting there with my flat. How about you, Nats? Yeah, I'm I'm really good. I'm just watching Baby Girl do lots of drawing on my work notepad and <laughs> <laughs> um, having some thoughts about that. But yeah, it, I'm good. I'm generally really well. And yeah, excited about our guests that we've got on today. Yes. So, yeah, looking forward for the listeners to hear our chat with him. Hello, everyone. Yes. Hello, everyone. <laughs> That's good to say. Um, so, brilliant segue from Nadia, classic Nads. So, yes, we went out on a virtual Social Matters podcast outing to interview Wayne Reed, who is a professional officer and social worker and anti-racism lead at the British Association for, for Social Work, otherwise known as Baswa, to talk about a new book that he's got coming out, which sounds absolutely amazing. You'll hear him speak about it. And also to generally talk about anti-racism and the work he has been doing in relation to anti-racism. So tune in, enjoy, and we'll catch you on the other side. Firstly, welcome, Wayne. Thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. From our position, you're one of those people that we see on Twitter that we observe, but we don't really have the confidence to ask to come on our podcast. So we felt really excited to to have you. But for some listeners who may not know who you are or may not know much about you, can you tell us a bit about yourself, who you are and your social work background and what you currently do at Baswa? 
Okay, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that nice introduction, uh, Eugene. And just to say, you know, please reach out. I'm just an ordinary guy, me. There's no pretension, you know, uh, I'd like to think I'm approachable. So, uh, you know, just, just get in touch if you want to. Um, and you're from Yorkshire. Big up. I'm a Yorkshireman. You know? I can't even disguise it as much as I might try sometimes. It's just not, I'm not able to disguise it. But um, to answer your question, so my role, my role at the moment is, um, it's a bit of a tongue twister, but I'm a professional officer, a social worker and an anti-racism visionary, as I like to call it. Um, but it's, you know, anti-racism lead at Baswa. The anti-racism element of my role um, it has recently become um, official. But prior to that, uh, I did the role kind of unofficially, um, proactively um, in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder. Um, it just kind of prompted me to throw myself into that aspect of my work and it's just taken off from there. But uh, as I say, just last couple of weeks or so, um, the role's become official, uh, which I'm really pleased about. Great. What was the reception? Because I'm curious that you said that it wasn't a key part of your role pre-George Floyd, but that kind of triggered and motivated you to dive into it by the sounds of things. How was that received, not only within Basel, but from your perspective in the social work world? I suppose there's been a mixed response. Um, there's been a lot of positives, I have to say. The response from a lot of the social work community, I think, has been um, mostly positive. Mm. There has been uh, some silence, I think, from some quarters, some inaction, um, which is a bit disappointing. But I live in hope, really, that you know we can kind of um, get everyone to a, a kind of similar uh, stage and understanding around anti-racism and the need mm. for it. Uh, the lack of existence of it within social work, the importance of it and all those things. I'm hoping that, you know, um, over um, hopefully a, a short period of time, you know, through education and a lot of the work that Baz were doing and so on and myself, I hope that, you know, we can get other stakeholders on board. Great. Mm. You just mentioned um, that there's been some really positive responses, but also silence. And I just wondered, like at the other end of the spectrum, has there been any outspoken resistance or more vocal disagreement with the work you're trying to do? Surprisingly not, I have to say. Uh, I've not felt much in the way of resistance, um, either internally within my organisation, speaking quite frankly. You know, some people have... Um, indicating in the past you know you're just the kind of token guy at Basler who they wheel out you know because they want to look like they're progressive but actually no you know I think a lot of uh, there's a lot of evidence out there to kind of confirm that as an organization you know I think we, we're leading the pack as far mm. as uh, social work organizations are concerned especially especially national ones um, and uh, yeah it's just um, I'd like to think that uh, there's an appetite that's been created within social work that hopefully we can uh, meet and sustain. Um, but, you know, we have our limitations as well. We need stakeholders to come with us, uh, as I said mm. before. Um, so, uh, you know, there's different uh, ways that we're looking to engage with different stakeholders around that. The stuff we're doing independently, but, you know, there's areas for partnership working. So hopefully, you know, we can kind of entice people to uh, come on this anti-racism journey with us. Great. You said about the feels like there's a an appetite for it now. And I know certainly we've spoke about in our podcast since George Floyd's murder and I guess the idea of a a movement rather than a moment. And from reading about you and I guess your experience and being in the field a long time, does this appetite feel different or do you think we've been here at other times? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, we possibly have been here uh, other times. Um, not within my career, I have to say, but, you know, I've been the sort of person who's looked to learn from um, sort of older social workers in the past, you know, veterans. And also I'm somebody per in my personal life, you know, there's I have a mentor and things as well. So and some of those people have been in and around social work. Um, and from colleagues that I've worked with, I get I get the sense that all of this climate that we're in is very similar to past episodes. Um, without having experienced some of that myself, you know, it's uh, it sounds familiar. It seems familiar to me. But um, I'd like to think also that the movement in social work at the moment is specifically different because I think there's a lot of activism that's taking place in a in a way that is probably, um, you know, it didn't take place before, such as through social media, et cetera. You know, there's quite a big um, social work community on social media. And not only that, um, I just feel that because of a lot of the work that Basworth have been involved in, to be fair, I don't want to sound like we're bragging, but, you know, <laughs> just from some of the work that I've been involved in, it feels like, actually, you know, I'm just one guy. We're just one organisation. We need, we need a, a broader kind of... Um, foothold really with other organizations other partners to be able to actually make some real impact um yeah. so I'm, I'm hopeful okay thank thanks Wayne at the beginning you described yourself as an anti-racism visionary it sounds it's a little bit like superhero-esque actually <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I just I just wondered like what is your vision and how would you like things to be Okay, yeah, that's uh, definitely a question, that. Um, <laughs> in terms of the uh, the visionary part of it, there's a, there's a few bits to that. So firstly, it's definitely me embellishing, that's for sure, because that's what it, it doesn't say that on my contract. But, uh, <laughs> but it, is it, it should say on your contract, you should have a picture with you with a cape on. Yeah, I'm just superhero thinking Get me a little costume or something, that'd be cool. <laughs> But um, yeah, that's me embellishing things slightly. But uh, the reason why I've kind of embellished in that way, it's a bit Kanye West-ish, I know. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I listened to a podcast recently with Kanye West, um, and it was with a guy called um, Joe Rogan. I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with uh, yeah. those podcasts. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. And Kanye was on there, and he was, uh, you know, talking like how he does. And, you know, obviously... He's, uh, I think, a bit more it's sort of elaborate than I am. Um, but uh, just having listened to that, I thought, you know, Kanye's got some real kind of uh, contentious opinions on some things and he does divide people. But um, there's something about him that just strikes me as a visionary. And that's what I came away thinking. And then, you know, things developed with Basware in terms of this role. I was successful in getting it. It was a competitive process, I have to say. I don't want people thinking there was any cronyism going on. Um, <laughs> it was a competitive process. I was fortunate to, to get it. And then I thought, you know what? I kind of want to emulate some of what um, Kanye said in that podcast in terms of the role, in terms of um, trying to connect with people in different ways, not just in one format. So I've done that, you know, I've written a few articles, I've done podcasts like this, I've spoken at different events and, you know, got the book coming out, the Outlanders one. So I've tried to do different things to try and reach different people, I suppose. Um, and I'm consciously aware through all the years of social work that um, people have different learning styles, you know, people have different preferences as to how they want to um, kind of access their information and how they digest it. 
so because I'm so passionate about this, I just thought I can't be a one trick pony. You know, we can't be one trick ponies at Baswork. We've got to try and make this as kind of accessible as we can. Mm. So that's where the kind of Kanye visionary thing comes in, where it's um, just, you know, I suppose uh, some of it is a bit egocentric, but some of it... (laughs) But some of it is also about just that creativity, I suppose, and thinking outside of the box and thinking about, you know, what's coming down the road in terms of the future of social work and how we can make this relevant, keep it relevant. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's it. And what ideas do you have about Basel's work with anti-racism in social work? What would you like to see happen with social work? OK, I would like to see... Um, uh, and I've written a bit about this, but just to kind of reiterate, it, I suppose that I would like to see a national framework um, that supports the workforce uh, in terms of black and ethnic minority social workers. But also, ideally, in a very idealistic work, I would want that to also include unqualified social workers, uh, you know, s- support workers and so on, uh, roles that I've done myself in the past. And for there to be, the, you know, uh, appropriate protections and support for them. So if somebody has, you know, racial abuse at work, they don't just have to deal with that by themselves. Um, It's not just incumbent on their immediate line manager to deal with it. You know, there's actually something there organisationally that's able to kind of put their arms around that individual, you know, in different ways. um, And also kind of hopefully address any kind of workplace cultures that are kind of fueling those sort of incidents and, you know, just recognising, I guess, what, you know, what social workers of colour go through as opposed to just treating them the same as everybody else and not really acknowledging the kind of inherent white supremacy that exists. Yeah, I think that's such a worthwhile and important vision. It's just made me think that as a black social worker myself, how that vision has not even crossed my mind. And I wonder why that is. And that is probably as a result of the structures in which we operate in and the impact of racism on a structural level and a systemic level I don't know if you have the answer to this question so I'm going to put it out there this is one of those curveball ones that you mentioned right. don't like me at the beginning okay. but I guess the Pull question I up. have and, and if you don't have <laughs> and if you don't have the answer is completely fine but okay. have you seen any organization or system that does what your vision um, kind of puts out like where they have a structural framework that that's anti-racist that can respond to things like racism in a workplace and things like that is is there any examples out there of that uh not really no I think that some of it um exists in a piecemeal sort of fashion but there's nothing kind of consistent um and clear or kind of mandatory Mm. uh, or universal in fact you know to kind of all aspects of social works obviously it's quite a fragmented profession as well Mm. that we work in various kind of settings so no there's nothing in that sense but um you know there is the um workforce race and equality standards which are Mm. kind of uh the moment being kind of rolled out uh, in stages so you know that's uh promising and i'm optimistic about that um I think there's still some way to go in terms of making that mandatory and uh, universal, but it's certainly a good step in the right direction. Mm. Um, I think what I'd like to see, uh, again, I've written about is um, um, kind of explicit terms around anti-racism, anti-oppression, anti-discriminatory practice and so on within the professional standards um, Mm. in social work and the education and training standards, you know, so um, so it's clear that this is what we expect as a profession. 
these are the issues and this is how we expect you to conduct yourself, you know. Whereas at the moment, I would say it's all a bit woolly and it's all quite um, sort of euphemistic that loses the essence really of, of those kind of bedrocks of social justice. You know, that would be my take. Um, so, yeah, stuff like that. But also um, uh, in terms of employment contracts, for example, um, I think it should be explicit for those, for, for all workers, what's expected in terms of the way that they conduct themselves with their colleagues, with service users. And again, it's not it's not that explicit. And I think in the current climate, we really need that sort of explicit, you know, explicit language in official documents like that. Um, and it's one step in the uh, in making people accountable for their actions. Yeah, I was just thinking as you were talking about the importance of bringing the anti-racist values, and I suppose speaking as a white social worker, into the workplace, because I think sometimes it's kind of, we will work anti-oppressively and anti-racist with families, mm. but not think about what is going on in the workplace and I guess that's yeah. what a lot of your book is about talking about the experience of social workers of color that I think it's it's almost like white fragility social yeah. work fragility to hold the mirror up at a profession that's meant to be about promoting social justice mm-hmm. when there's racism going on yeah. within the profession that's it. is probably quite daunting mm-hmm. and not wanting to do so it's it's easier to maintain the status quo and carry on than go actually racism is happening within our ranks and I yeah. think that's where a lot of the conversations need to be as well don't they of they kind really of, do that's yeah what's happening here because I think it is that thing because it's like we're about social justice and mm. fighting inequality and then to go oh but we are yeah. perpetuating this <laughs> exactly yeah that's really yeah that's exactly it and I think uh, quite often you know we we don't look internally as a profession around those things I think we've become quite complacent um, and there's a lot of rhetoric that's existed for many years around social justice, but there's little kind of, um, there's been little robust challenge, I think, in practice on those things. And, and as you say, for the workforce, little in the way of protections and support for social workers of colour. And one of the things that the whole George Floyd uh, sort of situation, uh, sort of what that highlighted to me was that actually, there is just like literally nothing uh, in terms of support for the social workers of colour. And uh, it's terrible, really, that we go around saying that, you know, we hang our hat on these values and these ethics uh, mm. for service users, but we don't actually have any provisions whatsoever for social workers of colour. So it just seems a bit of a mismatch to me. Um, and it, it was almost, I suppose, a bit of a, a weird epiphany following the George Floyd murder that mm. he just shone a different shone a light on social work for me in a way that <clears throat> as Eugene says I've not really thought about it in that way before and just final point I mean I've had a, a number of opportunities where people have approached me for different things recently and they've said you know will you come speak at our event and talk about anti-racism in terms of how it relates to service users and so on and I've had to be really blinkered I suppose in terms of saying well look it's specifically about the workforce you know, Baz was, uh, you know, primarily about social work and social workers anyway. Of course, you know, we work with service users directly uh, and service user groups, but we are the British Association of Social Workers. Do you know what I mean? And so I see that this work, as far as anti-racism is concerned, is that it's about black and ethnic minority social workers and their experiences within the profession. 
in terms of my um, going back to my vision, I suppose, of, of this role, if you see what I mean. Um, so, yeah, that, that's where I'm coming from. So carrying on off the, the back of that. So thinking about you saying, you know, your vision and your role at Basra is related to the workforce and the experience of black and brown and minority ethnic social workers. Do you see any challenges ahead with that work? Thinking that I guess it's, yeah, the, the visionary element, it feels quite new, maybe any challenges or roadblocks you've either yeah. experienced or see you're like yeah here you go <laughs> oh yeah it is, it's, however yeah. many years <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah it raises a bit of pressure how do I say that in a summary sorry go yeah. on <laughs> yeah I mean the other thing to say is that my role is part-time I've retained uh part of my previous role or you know still a current role as professional officer so I've effectively got two part-time roles so um I am realistic about what I can achieve in the role, what we can do as an organization with, you know, the kind of uh, sort of resource allocation that we have. Uh, there are a couple of new colleagues who are coming on board as, as uh, part of this work. Um, a colleague called Narinda Sidhu, um, who will be leading on equality and diversity and inclusion uh, at Baswa. And then a, a colleague called Chantelle Thomas uh, also. So uh, she'll be focusing on anti-racism, but with the UK focus uh, and mine will be more England uh, sort of centric um, so the future looks bright and I think you know going back to what I was saying about us as an organization probably sounds like a sales pattern now but uh, mm-hmm. I, I think we've kind of de- we're demonstrating that we're trying to you know make the right moves um, and I think there's lots of examples of that um, and I think you know if we look over our shoulder there's not so many social work organizations that are stepping up in the way that we've stepped up. So, you know, I'd like to think we're separating the the sort of realists from the pretenders. It's great. You mentioned earlier about activism and I suppose that is the idea of being anti-racist, this active element, isn't it? Like, let's see some action. And I read somewhere Mm -hmm. about, and again, this might be your your language of yourself and I love it, that you're a militant social worker. I don't know if you wrote that about yourself. I don't know if that's your label or a label given, but I was like, this is brilliant. But it made me think about, well, activism and I guess activism being part of the social work role that people may have forgotten or lost. And then linking back to like radical social work. Do you have any ideas and connections with that and those ideas moving forward that maybe the profession has lost touch with some of those origins? Yeah, totally. In terms of activism, uh, prior to this whole, uh, you know, the work I've been involved in on anti-racism, I think it might have been last year, I wrote an article for Baswa around um, activism and, and how it had seemingly become kind of outdated within social work, less prominent at least, uh, and how, you know, it was viewed as radical social work. And I sort of quoted people who I've already referred to kind of mentors older colleagues in the past who spoke about the good old days you know the golden era of social work if um you know if what was it these one colleague used to say if if one goes out we're all out sort of thing meaning that they would just you know strike basically yeah. um and I can remember just thinking blimey it's completely different to that now <laughs> and now you look at it and it's like it's unimaginable you know but yeah. um yeah, some of the, some colleagues like that, and uh, I captured some of their perspectives in the article. Uh, I definitely feel it's slid off the agenda, a bit like anti-racism yeah. in social work, really. Um, and it's something that I've tried to promote, both through 
articles and things, but also through, through some of the work that um, I've been involved in, I've tried to bring people with me. Um, and I always try to do that if I can. You know, um, we've got the Black and Ethnic Minority Professional Symposium, uh, BASWA, uh, BPS, which is a group of BASWA members across the country, 15 of which. Um, and, you know, there's been loads of work that we've been in, uh, that we've been involved in since August of last year short frame of time but we've done all sorts of different things it feels like it's been in Basel forever you know it's really well established um and I just feel like that's brought a real richness really to all of Basel's work so you know in terms of that activism and bringing people with me I think you know there's a, a few examples there and I'd hope I'd like to think I, I sort of lead by example a bit with that uh, but there are you know lots and lots of other activists out there as well mm-hmm. um and just finally the other thing I would say is um I know you'd said about anti-racism uh, sort of um, almost being synonymous with um, radical social work. And that's true. You know, that's how it's always being perceived. I think I'd like to get to a position where anti-racism is just seen as integral yeah. to social yeah. work. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Rather than being, oh, yeah, it's a bit different. It's a bit yeah. left. or you know, It's just actually, it's just what we're about. You know, that's, yeah. I'd like to get to that position, really. Yeah. Mm. Thanks for that, Wayne. One of the exciting and main reasons why we have you on today is to also talk about your new book that you, you've got coming out, which just looking at the information that's out there about your book sounds really exciting. So the new book is called Outlanders, Hidden Narratives from Social Workers of Colour. So can you tell us a bit about the book and how it came about? Yeah, it is really exciting stuff. Um, the book came about, it was kind of conceived as an idea about maybe two years ago, um, where I met Siobhan McLean, who's an independent social worker, you know, well-renowned in social work, a practice educator, mm-hmm. uh, and so on. And uh, Siobhan has her own publishing uh, business as well. Um, and we met at an event a couple of years ago, and she um, said she was looking for people to contribute to an idea she'd got around uh, the narratives of Black and ethnic minority social workers. And I said, great, you know, so I kind of followed her up uh, quite soon and said, you know, I've, I've written my piece. I can be a bit over-enthusiastic sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> You're fitting right here, Wayne. You're fitting right here. <laughs> I think she may have thought she'd acquired a stalker, you know, after uh, a short while. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, she um, she said, um, oh, you know, I'm really busy at the moment. And this was, I think it was maybe maybe late 2019, uh, and she was, you know, she wears lots of different hats. So she was busy. And um, she said, you know, I haven't really got time to, at the moment to kind of progress this, but I'll be in touch. Anyway, uh, it, things carried on. It got to last year, 2020. Obviously, things happened uh, with George Floyd and his murder. And it kind of reignited that conversation between us. Um, and that and a few other collaborations I was involved in, it just felt like the whole George Floyd incident had kind of just ignited a um you know, it was at the forefront of people's minds, I guess, very much my own. So with the um, the anthology, myself and uh, Siobhan talked about um, contacting different social workers that I was in contact with and that she was in contact with um, to produce something that would be similar to The Good Immigrant, if you've ever read that, that mm-hmm. book. Um, and also another book called uh, IC3. Uh, New Perspectives in Black Britain, it's called. Um, I read both of those books a few years ago. Uh, and when I then had the conversations with Siobhan, I just thought it would be great to capture the um, the voices 
of social workers of colour using that kind of format where it's a rich kind of blend of stories, essays, poems, you know, stuff that might only be a few pages long, but you read it and you're completely absorbed in that person's world, you know, and kind of looking through their eyes, walking in their shoes, just briefly, but kind of deeply, I suppose. Mm. Um, And yeah, that's what I I think we've been able to kind of um, emulate in some ways but through a social work lens. So uh, it's really exciting. That does sound really exciting. And I'm going to be queuing up when it comes out. I guess the question I had in relation to the book was, so I know, I don't know if you guys get it, but you know, when you read a book and then you just turn the final page and then you run the final paragraph and then you finish and you put it down. And there's a moment where you have a feeling, whether it's a moment of reflection, whether it's a moment of satisfaction or something like that after you've read a really good book. And I know I felt this when I've read really significant books to me, like Rene Dologe's One and Logan Talking to White mm. People About Race. I guess for you, knowing what the book is about, what sort of feeling would you want a reader who reads this book, what sort of feeling would you want them to have at that moment when they are turning the last page and getting to the end of that book? Okay, one word. I would say edutained. I want them to be entertained and I want them to be educated um, and I want them to return to the book, not just think, oh, yeah, good book that. I'll put Coronation Street on now, you know. <laughs> all, all Eastenders, let's not yeah. discriminate between yeah, the North and the South. Yeah, yeah North no South East, Let's just throw in the Eastenders. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the feeling I want, where the person treasures the book. You know, it's got pride of place on their bookshelf. They speak to other people about it both personally and professionally, people inside and outside of social work. You know, that's the kind of reaction I want from the book. Um, And yeah, just, I think it's that kind of book without, you know, sounding like I'm bragging again, but I think it's that kind of book where there's, you know, it's lots of other people's stuff in there. Mm -hmm. um, And each contribution just, you know, um, it stands, stands tall by itself, really. And we're just very fortunate, I think, that we've managed to get a really good collection where every, you know, every piece, I think, offers something um, in terms of edutainment. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a, as a combination, I just think, you know, it's um, it's just so rich. Mm-hmm. I think if, if you look at the blurb, I'd worded the blurb about around sort of ancestral spirits and things. And that's one of the things I um, came away with, uh, having read all the submissions just I felt like you know it feels like there's just so much kind of life experience in there and not just the people who've contributed but everything they've been exposed to you know throughout their personal and professional lives so it's sort of like you know you just come away enriched I think yeah yeah that's great I was gonna say when's it out when's it out (laughs) (laughs) well uh pre-sales are available now uh on the Kerwin McLean website but we officially launch on the 16th of March. We're having a virtual launch event, which you're invited to. Okay. Uh, tickets will be available soon. Um, we've had people review uh, a few submissions, uh, which have all been very favourable, I have to say. And um, yeah, you know, we've, we've kind of got those on Twitter and online and things. So have a look at some of those. And yeah, I think some of what I've said about it, you'll see that that mirrors some of what the reviewers have said as well. So yeah, uh, yeah it's good stuff. And when it's out officially, can people get it through the normal channels like bookstores and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, right. through Amazon um, yeah. and other mainstream di- distribu- distributors. Great. Um, 
so yeah it's uh, it's really exciting stuff and i think uh, you know sort of like on to the next one for me now in terms of anti-racism you know i kind of there's another rung in the ladder you know there's another door to kick in somewhere i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> thanks mate. honestly the book sounds so it already yeah sounds really exciting i just wondered why do you think it's important to provide these hidden narratives of social workers of color and what are some of the pressing challenges for social workers of color would you say well um in the workplace i think there is um um kind of overwhelming racism that social workers of colour face every single day that's just the norm really and has been for years certainly been the the way since I've worked in social work Um, and I think that's only um, worsened or been exacerbated um, since uh, austerity initially and then through Brexit um, closures um, of you know kind of sure starts and um, how mm. local authority funding is being impacted all those different things have affected all social workers but I feel they've Im- impacted on social workers of colour more because they've been marginalised more um, COVID-19 I think has had disproportionate uh, impacts as well uh, on social workers of colour um, through uh, you know some recent examples um social workers from those backgrounds being asked to attend visits where there's very real concerns about COVID-19, whilst their white colleagues aren't asked to go on those sort of home visits. Um, In the early part of the pandemic, uh, social workers of colour not being provided with adequate PPE, um, but PPE being available for white colleagues and white managers. And, you know, there being a sort of uh, a banter in the office that has a sort of edge of microaggressions and things like that. I think all those things have kind of intensified over that period that I've talked about, you know, from roughly 2008, 2010, in terms of austerity. And then, you know, some of these other kind of uh, societal junctures that we've faced, I think it's impacted on social work in terms of how social workers of colours are are treated in the workplace, the interaction with service users and within communities, you know, there's just so many different layers. Um, and, you know, it comes back to real real change really needs to take place at a structural level, a uh, sort of policy level, as well as an interpersonal level as well. Um, but until we can look at things from that anti-racist viewpoint, then really it's just kind of, uh, I think there's a danger of people just stepping back and saying, well, look, I'm not racist, you know, <laughs> I see, everybody's the same to me. But, you know, not recognising the kind of uh, the impact that social workers of colour, for example, face. It's very different to the white colleagues, even though they're doing the same job. They're treated in very uh, different ways. Um, And, you know, certain needs, professional needs just aren't being met or supported. It's so I think it's helpful, but also really powerful to hear their experiences because they are hidden and I think racism in the workplace when people as social workers of colour experience it there's that fear or that anxiety of challenging it particularly if you're in an environment where as a social worker of colour you're a minority particularly and what's more important is if you know that within the profession that you sit there's not a structure or a system that you're aware of that will adequately respond to that like you're saying around this idea of having an anti-racist framework Mm -hmm. if we had that and social workers were to experience racism in the way that you've described, then 
they'll know how their manager respond. They'll know what will happen if they went to their principal social worker or if they went to their service manager and they'll know the mm-hmm. support they'll get. But yeah. with, with the absence of that, it's very isolating. For yeah. Them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know i'm thinking of things like uh back in the day so when i started out as an unqualified you know support worker organizations that i worked for i'm thinking of um private fostering agency uh probation service they had uh black workers support groups you know those were kind of seen as the norm mm. uh they weren't necessarily resourced well but workers were given um sort of uh, time within work time to be able to attend those meetings they were given an office um and that was probably about it but that was all we kind of needed really just a space to be able to offload and to be able to speak to other people who are going through similar difficulties to us in whatever way or it might just be that actually there's one person who is going through the mill for whatever reason and the group just supports that person mm. whereas you know you wouldn't ordinarily be able to do that in work time um so that's my kind of introduction to some of the provisions that I'm thinking of if you see what I mean and that framework that I'd like to see would encompass things like that you know it wouldn't just be about collecting data it wouldn't just be about um I don't know uh, about education it would incorporate all sorts of stuff the whole uh gambit really Mm. you know from allyship to recruitment to education and training um everything and um that's that's really kind of uh structural change that's the level of structural change that's needed i think so interesting and exciting to be honest to like well a listen about your book which we're all gonna buy straight as soon as we get off this call (laughs) and b just to hear about your ideas and plans and it's more than an idea and i can hear that and I, i i look forward to it happening i'll say and and i know that it will just from speaking to you and reading about the work you've done so I I look forward to this framework coming out so I guess just to build on your final point and I guess just to bring it together what do you see the role that we can all play not just as social workers but those who are listening my mum who isn't a social (laughs) worker in supporting the anti-racist effort okay um, firstly, just to say around the framework that that's very much uh, a, a vision that I have. It's a, an idealism, I suppose. Um, it's not really in fruition. I suppose there's fragments of it that are being developed. Um, but as I say, I would like to see a national universal framework. So, you know, I'll I'll keep sort of rattling on until we make progress on that. <laughs> but um, yeah, as far as what um, individuals can do on a interpersonal kind of micro level, I think a fundamental part is around education and the willingness to be educated and to take on board new ideas. Uh, I don't think anybody has any an excuse these days because, uh, you know, the internet, there's a, obviously a world of information on there and the Basba website, of course, uh, shameless plug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we do it all the time, it's fine, we do it all the time. <laughs> My portfolio, you know, I've been sharing that with people as well because there's various resources like that that, you know, I'm not just saying my stuff's the best, but obviously there's various other um, anti-racism kind of pioneers out there such as Gurnam Singh, uh, Kishbati Sinclair, you know, Prospera Teams, various people who've done it for a lot longer than I have as well, I have to say. But um, I don't think that um, people have an excuse now. I think that, you know, all this information is out there. It's really a case of is the willingness there? Is there an intention and a motivation? Uh, and if not, why not? 
Uh, and I think that principle applies to individuals as well as organizations, uh, some of which I talked about earlier on, where there's just been a kind of, you know, mute silence, tumbleweed. And I just think it's not a good look. You know, you're really making yourself look bad there, you know. Mm. But, you know, what can you say? Um, so, yeah, I think that the same principles apply both at an individual, but also at a kind of more macro level as well. That it's just about that willingness to be educated and expose yourself to um different education that exists around anti-racism and race relations why that's important you know we all have the same bodily functions we're all human beings why can we not just see the simplicity or try and move towards the simplicity of that um you know rather than all this other stuff that gets in the way really Mm -hmm. so that's uh that's my kind of philosophy Thank you, Wayne, and such thank a lovely you. point to to end on. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. It's so great to listen to you. I think we we bring people on because we want them on our podcast. But I feel that I learned so much just in this half hour or so that we we've, we've had together. So I appreciate that and you sharing your knowledge and the work that you're doing. This is the shameless plug part. If people wanted to find out more about you or the work you do or the work you do at Bazwa, where are the best places for them to contact you or keep up to date with your movements and what you're doing not in a stalker way but in a <laughs> listen to what he's doing kind of way yeah okay thank you uh people can catch up with me on twitter their twitter handle is at wayne w-a-y-n-e underscore read r-e-i-d seven nine which um was the year i was born i don't mind giving my age away. <laughs> getting on a bit (laughs) um yeah so that twitter's probably a good place linkedin as well but that's the only social media i use i believe it or not i I was a a social media sort of technophobe not so long ago but now it's kind of like you know the vehicle i guess to push a lot of this stuff so i've I've had to adapt and evolve (laughs) welcome welcome to the club wayne we're a similar age and every time we like log on to this podcast i'm like can you hear me and the generally the answer this is completely off topic but this almost relates to my stalkering i was really intrigued by some of your other titles athlete dj (laughs) and trainer enthusiast so what do you think of these kicks Oh, they're nice. <laughs> they're really nice. Are they um, Nike Max 90s? Then? They are. What? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I think once we get to times where we're allowed to go for drinks again and you guys are in the same <laughs> area, I think you guys will get on really well. You've got the Yorkshire vibe going on. You've got the yeah, big time. <laughs> yeah, they're nice kicks, them. I like those, Frank. They are. They are. Yeah. Sorry, I, I saw that and I was like, right, I'm taking my training. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good taste. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you again Wayne and we know that it's the evening and this is after work and you just had loads of meetings all day today so again we very much appreciate your time here thanks for having me I really oh, appreciate no, it and really good talking to you all you Great. too cheers thank you, thank all right. you Wayne How good was that? I enjoyed oh, that so much trying to wane. So good. That was so good. That was it sounds so brilliant. I can't wait to be edutained. I know. I loved it. I loved edutained. I was like I I was like 
can we have permission to nick that as like our what we try to do on this podcast Edu- oh, edutainers i edutainers. missed that i missed that i just thought you said entertain did he say no entertain all right guys <laughs> try at me like that <laughs> but no it was so great and i think one of the things that we were reflecting on which which is important to share with the listeners is the vibe and the enthusiasm because he's talking about and the work he's doing around anti-racism can be challenging at times and can be lonely and isolating and difficult to see what the light at the end of the tunnel looks like but I feel that he's just done so much already and written so much and his enthusiasm and his passion and his knowledge I think makes me excited and optimistic about a lot of the changes that may be happening in our profession and the roles that social workers play in the anti-racism agenda. Definitely. And just a really sound Yorkshire man uh, (laughs) and trainer enthusiast and athlete like me. (laughs) Athletes dubious for me, but um, just really humble guy doing some some great work and just so exciting to hear about what he's doing, but also his vision and what he plans to do. And yes, I suppose as we explored that, you know, there will be challenges, there have been challenges. There's a lot to dismantle but he is very determined to do it along with other colleagues and it's just really exciting to have someone with his knowledge and creativity in this post Mm. so I look forward to seeing what happens. So you know when we were talking and Wayne was talking about how he's got some really positive feedback and I asked the question about you know have you had any resistance over resistance as well but it was really interesting what he was saying that he's he's also been met with silence and it made me think about the idea that like silence is complicity as well so by not saying anything you're not necessarily racist just because if you say something racist or if you do something racist but it's also silence and that also contributes to change not happening so yeah it was just really interesting to think about that and reflect on that when thinking about other reading I've done about how to be anti-racist how powerful silence is in the movement yeah thank you guys for listening and we have been free social workers talking about social matters you can find us and connect with us on twitter our handles at matters podcast same on instagram at matters podcast and also on facebook the social matters podcast we've been so pleased and excited that and hopefully people responded to this request at the end to leave us reviews but in the last couple of weeks and we got quite a few new reviews and such lovely reviews from people without their consent we don't want to post it onto social media but you can see if you go onto apple podcast you see all the reviews there but yes if you could take time out and if you enjoy the podcast leave us a review on apple podcast or any podcast platform that you listen to us on and we'll be forever grateful but yeah yeah thanks so much for listening everyone hope you've enjoyed thank you bye Friends bye <laughs> bye <laughs> bye